some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as, as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the brothers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. That was Acts chapter 15, verse 1 through 11. Could you imagine that the day you came to faith in Christ, that the first question you were asked is, hey, I know, let's schedule your circumcision. That's a little bit uncomfortable for me. I came to faith at the age of 18 years old. And, and what we're going to look at today is kind of a really a contrast between what it is to deal with legalism and spirituality and faith and trust and just what Christ has for us and releasing us from the bondage of legalism. See, back in, in the book of Acts, if you've been keeping up with the reading plan, as we go into the book of Galatians, where we're going to spend most of our time today, that's a really huge problem that Paul and Peter in the early church was dealing with. Galatians was one of the first letters uh, written to the specific church that Paul had written. And it was because of this conflict. You had Jews who were coming to faith in Christ, and they knew their Jewish tradition. They knew the law. They knew all the things that were expected of them as Jews, and now they've become Christians. Well, now the gospel is going to the Gentiles, and they didn't have all the rules, all the rituals, all the things that the Jews were accustomed to. And they said, I know, the Jewish leaders, I know. Let's hold them accountable for our traditions while they're coming to faith in Christ. It's really a big deal. You see, uh, just to paint a contrast, uh, some of you know me. I'm Steve Polk. I'm executive pastor. Uh, I've gotten to know a lot of you. been in Rock Hill for now for almost nine years, and I'm not from around here. Some of you know that. I was born in Northern California. And believe it or not, Northern California and South Carolina are in the same country. Okay? And I love it. I love where we live. I love, love where we've been. And you might know my wife, who's up here singing, uh, Branda. And she and I had very different upbringings. Okay, I'm going to explain that a little bit to you. So she was, I was, my parents were from San Francisco. I was born just out of the Bay Area, outside the Bay Area. Um, my parents were, were Vietnam area, uh, era adults. Many of you are, are in that uh, demographic. And, and that's kind of the beginning of who they were. So you think about that. Well, her parents were from L.A., not the same L.A. in Southern California. It was the L.A. just south of here in Lower Alabama. You're starting to see the contrast. Her dad was a preacher. 
She's a PK. My dad worked in the shipyard. He worked with Navy guys. A little different. Her parents, very, very much under control of their environment. She would tell you she was Southern Baptist 10 months before she was born. I didn't know what a Southern Baptist was until I was 19. I still wasn't sure because I was in the Northwest. We were at a Baptist church. I didn't know what Southern Baptist meant. See, in her house, she was growing up in the 70s, and some of you will relate to this, Three's Company was a no-go. They were not watching that guy live with those two women who were none of them were married. That was not going to happen in her house. We followed Three's Company with Happy Days and all the other shows that came with it, and it was just kind of part of the deal. Okay? For her... You weren't going to the movie on Sunday. For some people that she would have been friends with, it would have been you are not going to the movie house that might show a rated R movie. My brother and I, when we were younger, we would sneak into rated R movies when we were a little bit too young. Really, for the, for the ones that were like the war movies and the sports movies, that's what we wanted to see. It wasn't the, the other kind, but we really uh, found ways around some of those rules. For her, playing cards was absolutely off limits because you know what happens when you play cards. I'm talking about Uno, Okay. We were going to touch those cards. Well, when I was little, uh, it was a family gathering. Our family would gather, people would gather, and, and, hey, let's play cards. And they would just play different kinds of card games. It was a normal thing. And then there was dancing. Woo! Southern Baptist dancing, not a chance. She didn't have the opportunity to go to her prom because dancing was a thing. Okay? I went to my prom, not because I could dance, but because it was a social thing to do. And I still can't dance. Uh, I'm learning, but I hadn't got it figured out yet. Her only version of dancing was that she was on the dance team at the high school. She could get away with that. Uh, if you don't know what that was, you'll have to look up videos from the 80s to see what a dance team was. But it's just a different culture. So these Jews and these Gentiles are both coming to faith in Christ, and their cultures are colliding in a catastrophic way within the church. What we're going to get into today is really looking at legalism. What does that mean today uh, as we talk about faith? thought about that this morning. Here we are. Those of you who chose to gather with us this morning in the room, you're here worshiping. It doesn't make you extra spiritual because you showed up today. Does that shock anybody? A lot of you are tuned in online. And I'm grateful for that opportunity to, to be able to simulcast this because if you're at home taking care of yourself and protecting your immune system doing what you feel like is the next, the best thing that you can do for you, thank you for taking that choice. It's great. It doesn't make you more spiritual based on which decision you make one way or the other. We're going to get there. We're going to spend a lot of time this morning in the book of Galatians. So if you would, grab copy of, uh, your copy of God's Word and open up to Galatians. We're going to hit a number of passages through that book um, as you did through your reading plan this week. Galatians, right after the Gospels, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians following after that. We're going to look at some of the arguments that Paul had in dealing with the Galatian church and this conflict that was arising. By the way, this isn't the only place he deals with it, but it's just the starting point, and it fit with our reading plan. So we're going to look at legalism today, and we're going to look at how this all fits. Well, Paul gave them initially really three big arguments about what, um, what they need to look at, these Jewish leaders, in terms of uh, what it was to be, be Christian. So in Galatians 2, I'm going to read that passage for you. It's on the screen also. Galatians, Galatians 2, 15 through 21 says, uh, We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. That's good news. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law because by observing the law, no one 
will be justified. If while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what was rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I'm a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Really powerful message to those Jewish Christians we need to understand a little bit too. I want to go back uh, a little bit early in that passage. It says, we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law. Because by observing the law, no one will be justified. Well, wait a second. Why are we putting these stipulations down on these Gentile believers? Why are we taking parts of the law and assigning it to them for their responsibility if it wasn't our experience? Paul said, it's not your experience that you came to faith in Christ because of the law. It's your experience you came to faith in Christ because you believed. So why are we changing the experience? Challenges them with that. Then he goes on to a couple others. One is a very theological argument. And it's in Galatians chapter 3, verse 1 through 6. He says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before, you very, before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing, if it really was for nothing? Does God give you His Spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? Consider Abraham. That got their attention. Consider Abraham. He believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. So now, not only do they have the, their own personal experience of coming to faith in Christ, but now they have a theological argument. Very difficult for a Jew to ignore Abraham. It's critical that they understand Abraham's position. And he said even Abraham's righteousness was based on his belief. It was not based on his keeping the law. So now we've got two arguments, the theological and experiential. And then we're going to spend a lot of time on the practical argument. It's a very practical message that Paul gives them that's very relevant to us today. Not many in this room grew up in a Jewish household. Not many grew up with the customs and the laws and the rituals and the things that, that a, a, a Jew would have understood and then come to faith in Christ out of that relationship. We probably more relate to the Gentile believer who's trying to figure this thing out in our culture. So very practically, there's really two kinds of arguments or uh, practical arguments. There's two types of slavery and one kind of freedom. So wait a minute, we have freedom in Christ. Yes, we do, and we're going to get there. But there's two kinds of slavery we have to deal with. One is a slave to the law. See, in Galatians 5, 1 through 6, it says, It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. Behold, I, Paul, say to you, if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. So if you as a Gentile believer submit to even the beginning of, of a law of the Jewish culture, then what Christ did for you is really of no benefit. In verse 3, it says, And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision, he is under obligation to keep the whole law. So if you're going to keep one part, now you've got to keep up with the whole thing. You have been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by law. 
you have fallen from grace, for we through the Spirit by faith are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. So if you place even just one tenet of the law on top of belief, on top of receiving Christ as your Lord and Savior, through faith, you're now responsible for the whole thing. Well, what have we learned about the Ten Commandments and the whole law of Moses and and all of those things? The reality is we can't keep it all. In fact, we, we probably fail in a lot of it. But what he's telling us is if we fail even just one thing, just the most minute infraction, we're in trouble. We're guilty of the whole thing. And I thought about this in terms of, of, of a traffic stop. Now, I know nobody else except me in this room has ever been pulled over by a police officer. Right, right? Well, I was thinking about this. It was one night, it was a number of years ago, I was leaving here on a Wednesday night, going up Mount Gallant Road. Police officer pulls in behind me, blue lights. I pull over. Well, what in the world did I do? Had no idea. Wasn't going very fast. I was, everything was under control. Well, one of my two light bulbs over my license plate were out. Okay, big deal, right? Well, it was enough of an excuse for that officer to pull me over. But here's the thing. When he came to my door, he started asking me questions. Things like, can I see your license and registration? How about your insurance card? Can I see that also? Uh, And he's looking in the truck. What might he see? Here's the reality. He pulled me over for a little thing. He could have given me a ticket. He didn't. It was just a, hey, get your light bulb fixed. That's kind of what it turned into. But here's the reality. They make those stops because of what they might find that they might be able to, to deal with. Okay? If I'd have had contraband in my car, he could have arrested me for contraband in my car. If I had um, been rude and if I had begun to be aggressive toward that police officer, he could have arrested me for for being for resisting arrest or, or I don't know what you even call it. But I could have gotten into trouble where there was no trouble to be had. Because why? There was one little thing called a light bulb out that gave him the opportunity to investigate the whole picture. Okay? That happens for us. So here we are. So if we are dealing with the law and now we have freedom from the law, we have all freedom, right? So let's look at verse 18. Verse 18 says, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Hallelujah. We have complete freedom in Christ, right? We can now accept Christ and do whatever we want in this world. Think that's what he's got in mind? Wait a minute. Maybe not. There are some who believe that once they have come to faith in Christ, then then it's kind of, they're off limits. Because it's just the way I am. It's just my personality. That's just how I learned to talk. That's how I learned to interact. Well, I'm under faith. I'm under grace. I can do pretty much whatever I want to do. And after all, I'm not as bad as that guy over there and how they behave, right? We've never had that conversation before. But some believe that. So this is really what freedom in Christ is really all about. See, in some cases, and and as I learn more about the Southern culture, um, of yesteryear, I don't think it's the Southern culture today, there's a, a number of people who when they're young kids because of the influence of their parents or their grandparents or the fact that they were drugged to church. I've heard people talk about having a drug problem when they were young and they got drugged to church. Okay, that was their problem. And so then they went to Bible school and at Bible school that teacher said, you don't 
Walk that aisle. If you don't bend your knee before God and before this church, you're going to hell. Tell them the truth, but kind of tell them in an ugly way. And if you're a five, seven-year-old first grader, you might be a little scared. So all of a sudden, here comes all these seven-year-old first graders rushing the, the platform in June going, I need to have Jesus in my life because that teacher scared me to death. They don't really understand the gospel, maybe. And so there's a lot of young people who will come, bend their knee at the altar, pray a prayer, and they're saved in the church context. And we can, we can kind of sort all that out. We're not going to be able to today. But we have people who've never really received Christ. They've just reacted to a cultural expectation that now makes the adults in their world feel really good, but spiritually nothing has changed. We don't really find that out probably until a little bit later, like the teen years or the 20 years, sometimes the 30 years. It comes out at different points in time. The heart hasn't changed. Now, am I saying that all, all professions of faith by kids is, is invalid? I'm not. There are kids who will come to faith in Christ at a very young age who really understand what it means to be saved, and they will, they will come, they'll let us know that, we'll talk with them, and they'll be baptized at a very young age to, to testify of their salvation, and that's, that's really critical. But it's pivotal for them. It's a moment for them that matters. Verse 19 through 21, we look at a different type of slavery. So we, first we have the slavery to the law. Now we're going to talk about slavery to sin because there is another side to the coin. I think this is really relevant in our culture today. Verse 19 through 21 says that now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Wait a minute. You just said we have freedom from the law, but you just gave me a list of behaviors. You know what my favorite one is? And things like these. Etc. 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 There is no way to, to enumerate the list of things that can separate us from God from a behavioral standpoint. So we live under we live under grace. But we're not in the law. But do I, have compl- do I really have complete freedom? Let me ask you a question if we're talking about what it is to be in bondage or into slavery. Have you ever heard of things like Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, um, Anger Management Classes, Gamblers Anonymous? We can go on and on. Why do those type of programs exist? I'm grateful that they do because it helps so many people. If, if the freedom to exercise these behaviors is okay, whatever that means, we would not need 12-step programs and other, other things to help people get free from addiction, to gain their freedom from these things. Now, it's real easy to say if you've not lived through this with a family member or someone you're really close to, but the easiest way to not get engulfed in an addiction is they don't start, okay? However, it happens. Decisions are made and actions are taken. I looked up the definition of what an addiction is with psycholog- on uh, psychology, psych- excuse me, easy for you to say, psychology today. Psychology today says an addiction is a person with an addiction uses a substance or engages in a behavior 
for which the rewarding effects provide a compelling incentive to repeat the activity, despite detrimental consequences. So no matter what the consequences are, as detrimental as they may be, something about that behavior or that substance, its effect is rewarding enough to ignore the consequences. And that's what these programs help people understand is how to work through that. And I don't understand the whole process of getting free, getting clean from an addiction. I really don't. There's, there's some of you here that could testify. You've seen that miracle take place in people you care about in their life. I don't really understand it, but I do understand this. It's hard. Someone you care about is enthralled in an addictive behavior. It is difficult to break and almost never able to be done on their own. Almost never. But doesn't that sound like a type of bondage or slavery? When you think about you have the bondage to the law, so you have all these tenets of the law you've got to keep up with. And if you fall in just one, then you've fallen in all of them. And then we have, so we have freedom and we're excited because now we're free. But wait a minute, now we have this other kind of slavery, the slavery to sin. So where does freedom really come from? We talk about freedom in Christ. We have freedom in the Spirit. And as we go into the, the back half of, of Galatians 5, we're going to talk about the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. If we live by the Spirit, well, I skipped one. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passion and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. You see, the fruit of the Spirit is, not, is a singular fruit. I've got a picture of a fruit salad up there. Sometimes we want to pick and choose, and I just read through all of those characteristics, and you want to understand them individually in isolation. Because I want to go down the list, because we like lists. A lot of us like lists in America. And you want to go down the list and check the box. You go, well, I'm pretty patient. I love people, at least some of them. Um, I'm real positive, so I've got joy. And, and, and I have peace, except right now there's this thing going around the world, and I'm not feeling very peaceful. So do I have peace or not? Um, goodness, faithfulness. Well, faithfulness. Well, I'm going to leave that one alone for a little while. Gentleness, self-control. Well, you know, I, I'm going to meddle a little bit. When you're driving and you're in traffic and you're late, do you have self-control then? Because it's hard sometimes to have self-control all the time. So can I just have a little room? Can I kind of leave that one alone? But against these things, there's no law, which is really great. So we can do those things. But here's the thing. The fruit of the Spirit is singular. All of those things are a part of the same fruit. So I got to thinking about this. Now, some of you that know me pretty good, um, I have been known to say that my favorite kind of yard would be AstroTurf. Okay? That's how much I like yard work. Okay? I don't like yard work. I don't know how to grow stuff. I can't grow grass. I can grow weeds pretty good. But I'm not good at growing grass. I don't garden. I don't think we have any real live plants at our house because they die too. Uh, I got one in my office right now that's surviving. I probably need to water it because I don't think I have this month. Um, but that might become handy. Okay. So I had to do a little bit of looking about this farmer thing. Some of you are great at this. So, but I got to thinking about farming and what it means for the fruit of the Spirit. Well, let's begin with a seed. 
Does a farmer have any control over how the seed is programmed? The answer is no. I like interplay, but it's kind of hard in this format to kind of have a conversation. So I've got a picture of a pear up there. If I'm going to grow a pear tree and try to get some pears off of that tree, I need a pear seed, don't I? But if I'm farming pears, I don't get to decide, I don't get to go grab a bunch of seeds and then go, okay, um, I just got a handful of whatever, and I'm going to turn you into pear seeds. I don't have any control over that. What do I have control over? The soil. I can choose where to put the seed. I can rake the ground and break it up. I can put fertilizer in, I can put water on it, and I can nurture that, and I can help control the environment so that seed can do what it's designed to do. And if I would just manage the environment, that seed will do what it already knows how to do, and it will grow. It'll sprout roots, it'll sprout a tree, it'll eventually bear fruit, and I'll be excited because I can go harvest some pears and make one of them fruit salads. What about spiritually? It's the very same thing. When we receive Christ, we receive all of the Holy Spirit we're ever going to get and all we're going to need. It is a seed that is planted within us at our conversion. So what's our job? Cultivate. Do the work around it. It's not for you to control all those fruit of the Spirit, all those characteristics. They're already in there. Our job is to do the work around our lives in such a way that we can unearth and allow that seed to become what it's designed to become. So that the fruit of the Spirit can become evident in our lives in such a way that people around us will go, I want some of that. Uh, I used to pair for the, for the slide, but one of the things I love about our area is our peaches. And when I see a tree full of beautiful, delicious, juicy peaches, I go, I want some of that. Let's get some of those off of that tree and take those home and do something with that. When the fruit of the Spirit is evident in our lives, the people of the world, the people we come in contact on a daily basis go, hey, can I have some of that? That was really good. Does it mean we're perfect? No, because you know what? When we go pick peaches out of the the peach farm, they're not all perfect. Sometimes you pick them, they look really good, you get home, you cut those little spots out. doesn't mean the fruit's ruined, it just means you've got to clean it up a little bit before you partake. So we're not looking for people to be perfect, but we are looking to produce spiritual fruit. We're looking to produce the fruit of the Spirit in our lives so that people will see it for what it is and they'll want some more of it. So here's some some things I really want you to take away this morning. There's a lot going on in the world right now. That's about the understatement of a lifetime. Things that I don't understand, God does. Here's what we need to understand about salvation. Salvation is a free gift of God, and it's in grace alone through faith alone that we can accept that gift of eternal life in Jesus Christ. It's not by anything that we can do. You don't have to get ready to accept Christ. You don't have to clean up your life in such a way to be able to accept Christ. You come as you are. We sing a number of songs that that say that very thing. Come as you are without one plea. Come as you are to Christ just the way you are today in your life. Let him do the work to change you. Um, Adding any requirement to salvation including religious acts, even baptism is unbiblical. Why do we baptize after somebody comes to faith in Christ? It's a testimony. It's to tell the world not that I am being saved as I'm in the water going under, buried in Christ in baptism, raised in all canoes of life. It's not about the process of 
demonstrating or, or that effectively impacting your salvation. It's about testifying to the world that God has already changed my heart and I am now saved. It's a part of the testimony. You can't behave yourself into the right relationship with Christ. There are people trying so hard. And it's so tiring. And it's so exhausting to try to act right enough to make God happy. God's happy. God loves us. He sent Jesus to die for us. He is satisfied and he is content. All that makes him discontent is when we don't want to be with him in fellowship. That's, that's our choice. The seed of the fruit of the Spirit is planted in our, our life at salvation. Our role is to cultivate our lives in such a way that seed can produce the crop it's already designed to produce. That process often, I want to make this point real clear. The cultivation process often requires help from other believers in the form of loving accountability and community. So as much as it's important for me to cultivate my own life by being in Scripture, by praying, by being engaged in worship, by doing the things that only I can do, I need help. I need people in my life that love me, care about me, that I trust, and that believe in me to help me see my blind spots. It's supposed to be a NASCAR race today. And they would tell you, if a NASCAR driver would tell you, the most important person as part of their team is their spotter. Because their spotter sees their blind spots. So when someone challenges you about something you post on social media, or a way that you're behaving in public, or something that you say or do, and they come to you in love and privately and say, you know, you don't really understand what this is saying to the world about you. Rather than fighting it and resisting it, because after all, you have freedom, right? Receive it as a loving rebuke, a loving correction to help you continue to grow and produce and demonstrate spiritual fruit in your life. It's really critical. That's one of the great reasons why we gather as a church. Whether we're gathering here in this room, gather online, but we gather in community for the purpose of helping each other grow in our faith and walk and produce fruit in order to impact the world. Because just like that example of a pear tree or a peach tree, that seed produces far more than one piece of fruit. And as that that seed comes to full growth and production, it feeds so many more people than just one. And as God does that work through us, our spiritual fruit impacts so many more people than just us or just the people in our immediate surrounding. So I want to ask you about your next step. Kind of where you are today. What's your next step today? Maybe for some, uh, today is the day you need to acknowledge your sin and come to faith in Christ. Come like, come as you are. Maybe you just need to come and say, you know what? I've been trying to do this thing on my own. You're at church. Uh, you tuned in online at, to church. So you, you, you kind of get some connection to that. But you've been trying to do this spiritual thing all by yourself. You're not allowing the Holy Spirit to, to work in and through you to produce the fruit that he wants to produce. Maybe today is, is that day you need to come to faith in Christ. Maybe today is a day, you know, you, you've kind of been hanging out. You've been kicking the tires on church or, or you've kind of watched different places online. But you haven't really connected. You haven't been willing to connect and, and be vulnerable with a few people who are close to you, uh, who are also in the body of believers, to work on cultivating that seed of salvation, to actually produce more spiritual growth. Maybe that's where you are. And for some, we're just legalistic. 
we're looking at everybody else about what's wrong with them and why they need to measure up and why they need to pick up their game and what's wrong in their world. And if they would just fix this, that, or the other, then they would be all right. Maybe we just need to lay that down and recognize that each one of us is living the struggle of life in a very similar way and we struggle with different things. And rather than being critical or standoffish or at arm's distance, maybe we can come and put our arm around somebody and say, you know what, I don't know what you're struggling with, but I want to do this life with you. Because you may not see it. I try to clean up as best I can. You have no idea the turmoil that's in my own heart, where I struggle, where I sin, where I fall down. And I want to do this with you. Because we're better together. We truly are. I don't know where those things are for you. But right now, we're just going to give you some time where you can pray. And we're going to stand together.